Following Christ means living a new life, and many people have very sincerely tried very hard to be a different person. But most of us find out pretty quickly that we cannot be what God is calling us to be on our own. We can do better for a while. We can be better than we were. But to be completely transformed into a different person, we all need help. Jesus came to help his disciples, and he left the Holy Spirit to help us. We are, we are not on our own in this journey. The transformed life that Christ is calling to us to is made possible by the Holy Spirit being with us and working in us. Jesus was explaining this to his disciples. This was new information for them. They were hearing it for the first time in the passage that we look at today in John chapter 14. And for those of us that are here today and those of us that are listening by radio and by broadcast, might be the first time that you've heard this or come to understand it. That the life that God is calling you to, he's not calling you to live in your own power. He's not calling you to accomplish it by your own ability, but he's given you the Holy Spirit to enable you. So John chapter 14 is where we're going to be at today. I want to ask you to turn there and look at verse 15 with me. We'll look at verses 15 through 24. Would you just stand with me out of reverence for God's word as we read this together? John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. This is Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's pray together. Father, it's so clear that Jesus' disciples did not understand what he was saying. And Lord, in all humility, I know that as much as we've studied and reflected, we don't truly understand all of it either. But I pray today that you'd give us a greater understanding than we currently have. Help us to know how to live like Jesus. Help us today to understand how to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And Father, 
May we love you. May we live for you. And may it be evident to all the world because we keep your commandments. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are truly called to live beyond our ability, but we're not called to live beyond the Spirit's ability. It's so important to understand that the Christian life is a life of trust. It's a life of faith. There comes a point in your life when you realize that the Lord doesn't need you to figure things out for him. He doesn't need you to do more. He just needs you to trust him and depend upon him and obey him. The Lord can do more in five seconds than you and I can do in five lifetimes. He just needs us to trust in him. And so when it comes to the Christian life, so many of us in sincerity, we want to clean ourselves up. We want to stop doing things that we know dishonor the Lord and our family and ourselves. We want to stop and we want to change. But yet we find ourselves failing time and time again. Because every single one of us have a sinful nature. Meaning it's just in our nature to sin. We look at all these uh, different breeds of dogs. And there are certain dogs that it's just in their nature to be friendly. There's other dogs that it's just in their nature to be aggressive. And I'm telling you, it's in our nature to sin. It's just a part of who we are. And so when we depend upon ourselves to try to stop sinning and be somebody different, it's a frustrating way to try to live the Christian life. God is not calling us to do this on our own. The Lord has given us a helper, the Holy Spirit. And so the life that God is calling us to, it may be beyond our ability, but it's not beyond his ability. Jesus, in this passage, begins to talk about these different ideas, such as love and obedience and the Spirit and helping and leaving and coming and believing. And, and on the surface, it, it, it kind of looks like a, a, a mixed bag of unrelated things, but as you begin to really think about what Jesus was saying and follow the discussion, we realize that they're all interrelated. Jesus was calling us to, to love him. And, and by loving him, to end up keeping his commandments and therefore demonstrating our love. We do it by depending upon the Holy Spirit. We depend upon the Holy Spirit because we believe that Jesus' word is true and he has sent the Spirit as he, as he has said. And so we find ourselves separated from the world and drawn in closer to the family of God with Father, Son, Spirit, and us included in this beautiful relationship. So these things, are, they're not unrelated at all. They're, 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 all, a, they're all a package, package deal. I think about when I was when I was young, and I, I tried to play some sports, and that was just a disaster. I was I grew so fast. I was just like a I was like a baby giraffe whenever I got out and tried to play sports. And I, I was just there was a few kind people that actually uh, tried to work with me and help me coach me and things, but it was it was a lost cause. And I remember um, first baseball team, 
and the coach just really trying to work with me on how to, how to swing the bat. And they tell you every little step, put your feet here, shift your heat, hold the bat here, get your elbow up this way. That, all, these, all these steps. And as a child, I was like kind of walking through the stretch, trying to do what I was told to do. I never could quite, quite get it. But you know, as you begin to practice, there, there never comes a time that, 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 that you don't take those steps. The batter in Major League Baseball is still taking every one of those steps. He still holds the bat the same way. He still shifts his hips. He does all those things, but he doesn't think about them in individual steps anymore. He's learned how all those things interrelate, and now it's just one solid fluid motion. And so it is in the Christian life that, that, that early on as a new believer, we hear about we're trying to figure out love and faith and obedience and the Spirit and all these different things, and we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, and we end up with some massive uh, checklist for the day that, that nobody could ever accomplish. And then as we begin to grow in understanding, we realize that all these things are elements. They're steps. They're ingredients, if you will. But they just become one fluid motion that we no longer try to separate from one another. We no longer try to separate love and obedience and keeping commandments. And we, we no longer try to separate that. We no longer try to separate trying to figure out walking by faith and living by the Spirit and trusting in Christ and reading His Word. They, they just all, they all flow together in the believer's life. So that we accomplish what God has called us to in the pursuit of Him. And so that's why Jesus opens by talking about love. It's all about us, us loving God. This is where everything in the Christian life then flows out of. When we try to be obedient without love, then we find ourselves living by a list of rules that nobody can keep, and we don't have proper motivation to try to keep them if we're only motivated by the desire to pursue self-righteousness or motivated out of fear. But when we come to just love God... We just naturally do the things that we need to be doing. And so love for Jesus, it leads us to the righteous life that he calls us to live. That's why in verse 15, he begins this section by saying, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what's the Christian life about? I tell you, it's not about commandments. It's about love. When we love, we keep the commandments by default. Listen to Matthew 22, verse 35 through 40, when someone asked Jesus about commandments. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. And when it says lawyer, it doesn't mean one that practices in the courts, but a, a student of God's law. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus mentioned two commandments, both quotations from the Old Testament. First, love God. Second, love people. But notice what he says in verse 40. On these Two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
He said that everything in the law and the prophets depended on these two things, loving God and loving people. You see, when you have love, you don't need commandments. Commandments are boundaries that keep us from hurting God, hurting others, and hurting ourselves. But when we find ourselves pursuing love, we'll find ourselves well inside those boundaries. So many times as believers, we're concerned about exactly where the boundary is. We're not concerned about how close we can get to God. We're concerned about how close we can get to the boundary without crossing over. Let me tell you something. God, God doesn't live at the boundary next to sin. And when we get closer to him, we'll move away from sin by default. When you love your wife, you don't need anybody to tell you not to commit adultery. When you love the Lord, you don't need anybody to explain to you that you shouldn't have any other idols ahead of him. Love doesn't undo the commandments. Love leads us to keep the commandments by default. And so Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Many of us do love the Lord. But even when we truly, sincerely love the Lord, we still need help. This is why Jesus said in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Well, in verse 16, I, I want you to notice the word another, another. When we think about the Holy Spirit, he is not our only helper. He is another helper. Jesus came to help his disciples. And as we read his words, he helps us. But then he sent us, he sent us another helper, the Holy Spirit. Your Bible translation may say advocate. It may say counselor. It may say helper. The reason is we struggle to find an English word that actually encapsulates everything that that word in the Greek means. The Holy Spirit is certainly our helper, but one of the, the weaknesses of, of using that translation is that sometimes when we think of a helper, we think of one who is subordinate. We think of the, the young boy who's holding the light for his dad. Did you ever hold the light? Hold it still, son! Sorry, I just, just relived a moment there. That was, that was a, we think of a helper as somehow being inferior. The Holy Spirit does not hold the light for us to live. The Holy Spirit helps us in the sense that the heart surgeon helps his patient. He does for the patient what the patient cannot do for himself. This word, advocate, counselor, is because... The, the word in, in the Greek, it's a, it's a compound word, two words put together to make one word. It, it, it literally, if we take both words apart, it means to come alongside. It's the idea of the, the attorney that, that comes alongside you in court and advocates for you because you don't understand the law. It's the person who does for you what you cannot do for yourself. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been sent by our Lord to help us, to help us. The Bible in 1 John describes Jesus with this same word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 
He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That's the same word that's translated helper there in John 14, 16. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus came to help us and the Spirit came to help us. We think about so many ways that the Spirit helps us. The Bible tells us in Romans the one way that the Spirit helps us is in prayer. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Bible tells us in this passage that, that we don't even know what we should pray for. Many times we think we know what we should pray for, but we don't really know what we should pray for because we don't know the perfect will of God and we can't see the future. We don't read hearts and minds like the Lord does, but the Lord who knows everything knows what we need. And so when we go before God and we pray as believers, we can have confidence that even if we don't know what to ask for, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He asks for things that we need. He helps us in our weakness. And so when it comes to living the Christian life, we've not been left on our own. We have the Holy Spirit who leads us and empowers us. The believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus describes the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. This is not a different Spirit from the Holy Spirit. It's a description, the Spirit of truth. Jesus, Jesus is truth, and he has sent us a Spirit of truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. He said he, he was the truth. We're living in a day where people question if there even is such a thing as, as truth. The whole postmodern movement is about questioning, is there any objective truth? And this is not new. You remember when Jesus was before Pilate? And Pilate asked him this question. Pilate says, what is truth? People today think they're so smart and so vogue and so new to question the very concept of truth. The reality is, is our American culture is becoming more like the culture of the first century church than it ever has been. Nothing new is going on today. Jesus said that he was the truth. There is such a thing as truth. And he sent us the spirit of truth. The Bible says, whom the world cannot receive. Jesus was not received by the world, neither is the spirit. In John chapter 1, the Bible introduced us in this gospel to Jesus by describing Jesus in this way. It said, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was not received by the world, and the spirit that he is sending will not be received by the world either. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And Jesus, who came to dwell among us. You remember what the Bible said? He would be called Emmanuel, God with 
us. In that same gospel, the first part of John, the very first chapter, it says, And the Word became flesh, meaning Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. Do you remember in the Old Testament there were two places of worship? First, there was the tabernacle, which was that movable tent that followed the people through the wilderness. And then later, there was the temple that was built in Jerusalem. The tabernacle is where God's presence came and dwelt among the people. And this word here translated dwelt in John chapter 1. It's the word tabernacle. It's a clear allusion to the Old Testament tabernacle. That just as God came and dwelt with his people then, so Jesus has come and God is dwelling among us now. And friends, the Lord may have ascended into heaven, but he is still dwelling among us in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit dwells among us. So the life that we're called to may be beyond our ability, but it's not beyond his Ability. He's not left us on our own to try to accomplish this, but he's given us the Spirit to help us in our weakness. We're called to live beyond our ability, but we're also called to live by love for Jesus. You see, the Lord did not abandon his disciples, and he's not abandoned us either. Verse 18, listen to what he says. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. That night that Jesus was arrested, the Bible tells us about two disciples that went with him. There was John who went all the way. And then there was Peter who stood outside and in fear would deny Jesus. We go on to the crucifixion and we know that John was there. Where are the rest of the disciples? They are confused, afraid, probably felt abandoned. But just a few days later, the Lord, after rising from the dead, would appear before them. And they would remember these words, that he would not leave them as orphans, but that he would come to them. He says, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. Jesus, in his resurrected state, was going to appear before the disciples and to the disciples. Friend, if we're not convinced by the resurrection of Jesus, we cannot be convinced. He said, in that day, meaning when he returned again to them. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus both died. And Lazarus goes to what's described as Abraham's bosom. But the rich man goes 
to hell. And from hell, it says, and he said, then I beg you, Father. This is the rich man crying out to Abraham. Then I beg you, Father, to send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Abraham was not speaking about the person of Moses, nor the prophets, but about the writings, the word of God. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes back to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. We don't need more evidence. We need more faith. Perhaps there's been a time in your life that very well-meaning, you thought, well, if someone could just see something, then they would believe. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm not going to abandon you as orphans. I'm going to come again. And when I come, then you will know. Then you will know. The resurrection of Jesus gives us faith to believe and trust in him and his promise that he has sent the Holy Spirit. And obedience is how we demonstrate our love for him. So it says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There's this relationship here between keeping the commandments and loving Jesus. In John 15, 8, just a chapter beyond where we are now, Jesus would say, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and listen to this, and so prove to be my disciples. Anyone can say they're a disciple of Jesus, but it's the fruit that is born in our life that gives the evidence. The Bible describes the fruit as the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that transforms us into a completely new person. It produces things in us such as peace, joy, love, patience, endurance. It produces things in us that are not natural, things that are not part of the sinful nature. And it transforms people in ways that they cannot transform themselves. See, so how do I receive this? Well, you love the Lord and you pursue him with your heart. And he gives you the Holy Spirit to help you. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life as you listen. It's, it's interesting to me that throughout this passage, we see several of the disciples asking questions. Some of the disciples that we never hear from, 
throughout the rest of the Gospels. And so it is with Judas. Not, not Judas Iscariot. The Bible is very clear. So we don't confuse it. It says not Iscariot. There were two disciples named Judas. Common name in the first century. It's not, not as common anymore for obvious reasons. Uh-huh. Common name. Two disciples. So Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus is very clear that there's a distinction here between us and the world. And he's calling us out of the world and into the family of God. Judas didn't fully understand it, and you and I may not fully understand it, but the Lord is calling us out of the world. Not not meaning that this, this ball that we're standing on, The system of thought and pursuits and culture that is against God. He's calling us out to be his special people. He's calling us to be a part of his family. And so verse 23 says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's this relationship here again, love and obedience. And my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Greatest gift that we could ever receive is being brought into the family of God. It's a hard lesson in life to learn that some people are just cruel, some people are mean. And there's some people that can, that can honestly say there's not a person in this world that loves them. When we were in Tennessee, we were, we were ministering to some of the poorest of the poor. We saw a lot of children that nobody, nobody loved them. We can't choose our earthly parents. But I'm telling you, you can choose to be part of the family of God. He brings us in. And he loves us when we love him. Revelation 21, John saw a picture of what this was going to be like one day. He said, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. From the Old Testament tabernacle to the coming of Jesus, to the giving of the Spirit, to the hope of reward in heaven is all about God coming to dwell with us. It's all about relationship, a relationship of us being part of his family and him dwelling with us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it, 
but we can receive it as a gift. Verse 24, after all this encouraging word, we recognize this very stark reality. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We cannot separate obedience to the Son from obedience to the Father. Jesus says the words that he gave, they're, they're not his words, they're the Father's words. There's no division or separation between Father, Son, and Spirit. Many people believe that Jesus is a way to God, but he claimed to be the way and the only way. Disobedience to his words is disobedience to the Father's words. The three are part of a family that they've invited us into. It's a relationship that you enter through love, faith. And our membership is demonstrated by obedience. We don't earn our way in by obedience. But when we become a part, we begin to live a different life. Not in our own power, but empowered by the Holy Spirit who's been given to help us. And the things that we do and the things that our life produces gives evidence of whose we are. So today I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in God. To live a righteous life, but, but not in your own power. To let the Holy Spirit help you, guide you, and transform you. So that the things that we produce might make it very clear to the world that we are His. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks today that you have not left us alone, but you have given us the Holy Spirit. Help us to believe and to trust that we might be separate from the world. Not out of the world, but separate, holy people. May our lives glorify you as we depend upon you and by bearing much fruit, prove to be your disciples. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you today at the end of this service right now to make a decision. You see, the Lord has done everything necessary for us to be different people. And I know that there may be a lot of people, maybe that are listening on the radio today, maybe you're watching, and you've really been trying to do better. You might be able to do a little bit better, but it'll never be good enough. But that's why Jesus came. He did for you what you cannot do for yourself. He lived a perfect life. So that when he laid down his life, it was not for his sin. It was for yours. And today you can be forgiven if in faith you would ask.